whale. As they say in the business, who wants to follow that? Uh, Bible's a good place to start. We're going to be in Ephesians. Thank you, worship team. That was that was awesome. Ephesians five. Ephesians five. Um, eight through. I'm going to go through twenty. Ephesians five eight through twenty. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper! Or, Awake, sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's as far as I will read this morning. You can follow along in your bulletin if you would like. Bon Jovi wrote a song called Living on a... Come on, Living on a Prayer. Somebody about to bust out in song right now. Love that. Coldplay wrote these lyrics. Lights will guide you home in the song Fix Me. Fix You. You can't always get what you want, right? The Rolling Stones, even the Beatles, right? Mother Mary comes to me, right? Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. See, our music, it, it speaks to us, whether it's labeled Christian or not. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not that guy that sits around listening to Christmas music, Christian music all the time. I'm not that pastor. I, I, I love Hillsong. Um, I love Elevation Worship. I, I love these great um, worship leading uh, groups. But can I be honest with you? There's some Mondays I wake up and all I want to hear is a little bit of Johnny Cash. Can I just be honest with you? Right? 
Because Johnny Cash, he just speaks to me at a deeper level. Uh, U2 and, and Bono, he, he speaks to me at a deeper level. Mumford and Sons speaks to me at a deeper level because music, it speaks to our souls as the, as the verse indicated. Make music. Sing with all of your heart. And, and I want to make this observation this morning. Whether or not musicians like this or not, musicians are often our modern day theologians. They're the theologians often of our pop culture. Whatever generation you grew up in, I'm sure I could ask you about some of the songs of your generation and what they were saying about the world they live in, about God, about how to deal with Others And inadvertently or on purpose sometimes, I believe that our musicians are oftentimes theologians in our popular culture. And so we don't want to lean away from that. We don't want to be these people that are afraid of non-Christian music. Maybe you've got a friend, don't look at them or point at them, but they're like, I don't listen to anything other than Christian music. I No, no joke, went to this college in uh, Tennessee, Johnson University, for one year. Anybody ever heard of Johnson University? Really? Seriously? Are you really? Where are you from? Johnson City, okay. So I was in Knoxville. Not the best year of my life, I'm going to be honest with you. At the end of the year... It's a beautiful place. But at the end of the year, they were like, we don't think this is a great fit for you. And I was like, neither do I. Um, And I'll never forget one of the things that happened during the year was there was this big uh, night where they were talking about the influences of culture on us. And a bunch of the people, the uh, the students, got together all their non-Christian CDs, because we had CDs back in the day. Some of you young people don't know what those are, but they're... Anyway. um, And... And they threw them all in the dumpster. And guess who climbed into the dumpster later that night? I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna be honest and say that. (laughs) I got a lot of great uh, albums out of that deal. Um, got in a little trouble too. Uh, see Mumford and Sons, they are a British band led by uh, their lead singer Marcus Mumford, who is the son of John and Eleanor. And and one of the interesting things about John and Eleanor is that they were and still are a vibrant part of the Vineyard Church movement in, um, in London. They were national leaders in the Vineyard Church. And because of this, Marcus grew up in a Christian culture. He grew up with parents who loved him and influenced him. Um, who, who, who taught him about Jesus. And because of this, many of their songs have these deep Christian, these deep spiritual undertones. One of their songs is called Roll Away Your Stone. Roll Away Your Stone. I, I just think that may have some Easter connection. I don't know, right? Um, they have a song simply called Believe. That talks uh, about the the difficulties of believing and struggling with belief. They have a, a song called Thistles and Weeds. Um, uh, sort of an allusion to Jesus' teachings on uh, weeds and thistles and growing together in the crops in the field. They even have one title, one album titled Babel or Babel. After um, the great story of the Tower of Babel. And so their lyrics are just, they're just filled 
with these deep things of God, even though maybe that's not fully intentional. Rolling Stone uh, did an article with them and, and said this. Their lyrics are heart-gripping, capturing experiences to which most listeners can relate. Brokenness, regret, and longing for restoration. While some of the lyrics are raw and emotionally uncensored, they also provide glimpses of hope, themes of love and grace and forgiveness. And today, Mumford and Sons has a message for us, and the message is this. Awake my soul. You heard this in the chorus. Awake my soul, awake my soul, for you were meant to meet your maker. And so we want to dwell upon this idea of awake my soul. And what's interesting is that throughout the Bible, there are many passages about our souls being awake or us being awake. The psalmist David loves to use this phrase, awake my soul. But so does Paul in this passage. And so here is Mumford and Paul's, not Mumford and Son's message to us this morning. Awake my soul. Now. Uh, let's let's just be honest confessions here. How many of you are night people? Where's my night people? You're so, you're night people. Raise them up. You you shouldn't be. You know I know morning people look down on you. It's okay. I'm with you. Okay. Night people, you love the night, and and in the morning you're like sunshine. Come on, man. I gotta eat six cups of coffee, and that sunshine still is not enjoyable. How many of you are morning people? Yes, my morning people. You type A personalities, you, getting up before all of us, getting your coffee going. We wake up every morning if we're night people to the, of you grinding your coffee. And we're thinking, man, if I could just get five more minutes of sleep, right? I, I'm, I'm a night owl. Um, I'm a night person. I, I just, and, and, and I've tried to change, honestly. I've, I've set alarms and I have made schedule changes and I'm like, if I just get to bed on time, 10 o'clock every night, I'm going to be a morning person. No, it just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. And it doesn't matter if you're a night person or a, mer- a morning person. Uh, one of the realities of every single day, including today, is what you woke up, right? You woke up. Don't know what time it was at. Don't know if you were happy about waking up. Don't know what the first thing you did when you woke up. But every single one of us woke up this morning. And so the quote from this passage says this. Paul says, wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. It's like the buzzer going off. Until you wake up. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what we want to unpack this morning. What does it mean for us to be awake? What does it mean for us to be awake? Listen, most of you are awake right now. A few of you sort of dozing, all right? We'll try to make it a little more exciting. But most of you are awake right now. We are awake right now. But what is Paul saying and what is Mumford and Son saying when they're saying, Awake my soul, something deeper. Um, Part of what we need to understand is the cultural context of this verse. Often in the New Testament, when someone quotes something, as is in this passage, they say that is why it was 
said, that is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Oftentimes what they're referring to is the Old Testament. But in this case, there is no direct, uh, uh, there's no direct passage that Paul is alluding to. There's no direct passage that says these, these three phrases. You could pull some passages together from the Old Testament, but most commentators don't believe that he was pulling from the Old Testament. What they believe, as we unpack this together, they believe that he was first referring to baptism. He was referring to baptism. And the common thought is that when they had baptisms in the early first century church, that they would all say this phrase together. That I don't know if it was while the person was in the water or if it was when they came out of the water or right before they went into the water, but they would repeat this phrase, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And I think that's one part of what we're talking about this morning. I think that this allusion to baptism is wonderful. This gives us a good sense of what it means for us to awaken our soul because when you're baptized, you're awake already. But when you get baptized in the Gallatin, you really, you really wake up. So we had a baptism service a couple weeks ago where we had five folks who got baptized in the Gallatin River. And if you missed that, I didn't want you to miss it. So let's go ahead and watch these folks awake. So there's this moment that they, that, by the way, Liz Babbitt did this all and she's just a rock star. That was so awesome. Um, there was this cool edit. Did you catch it? The, the, it was a replay of one of the baptisms. And when she went under, she, it was in what? Black and white, right? And when she came out of the water, it was in, it was in color. Awake my soul. If we talk to these folks, that that is a moment of awakening for them. And Paul hearkens to this moment. He says, listen, that moment that you were baptized, that that was a moment where God was saying, awake my soul. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper. I want to continue to ask, what, what does it mean for us to be awake? Because I'm sure you have your own story about baptism. If you don't, you need to come talk to me. And it's getting real cold. But, um, you know, maybe we wait till next summer to do it in the Gallatin. We've also done services of baptism here at the church. And so um, come talk to me to take that initial step. Um, but for many of us, we've already had sort of a moment like that or moments like that in our life. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us right now for us to say, awake my soul? I want to unpack just two pieces of what it means to be awake. What it means to be awake. I think there's two aspects to this. One, fully alive. And secondly, walking in the light. Fully alive and walking in the light. It says, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead. So come fully alive and Christ will shine on you. So walk in the light. These two beautiful pictures for us of what it means to be awake. Number one, alive. Fully alive. This is a pop culture series, so I want you to remember Braveheart, because you all watched it, right? There's this scene where he's about to go to battle, and the fair maiden says, what if you die? And William Wallace says... (laughs) 
every man dies. Not every man really lives, right? So what does it mean to be fully alive for, for a Christian? Uh, it, it means that we embrace this deeper sense of, of the goodness of life. It means that we are fully alive in our souls. It means that every breath we breathe, we know it's just not a breath. It's a gift from God. And it makes us come fully alive. There's this great story about one of Jesus' friends. His name is Lazarus. Maybe you heard about this guy, right? And Lazarus gets sick and dies while Jesus is away. And in the book of John, the, the record of Jesus teaching in John, Jesus shows back up at Mary and Martha's house, who are the sisters of Lazarus. And Lazarus is buried in the tomb for four days. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. And I, I think it was Mary who said, it's going to smell really bad, Jesus. Right? She was Captain Obvious, obviously, right? It's going to smell really bad. And Jesus has him roll away the stone and he calls into the tomb. And who comes walking out smelly and all? Lazarus. Fully alive. Not dead anymore. And that is part of the reality that we as Christians live in every single day. Yes, it's part of the reality forever, right? I mean, this is one of the incredible realities that Jesus rose from the grave and that we will experience resurrection in the new life. But we should live into that even today. Our meals should be sweeter. Our friendships should dig deeper. The way we experience life should be embracing everything that it has as a gift from God. You should look around and say, wow, 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 all day long. I think Christians should be those who celebrate life more than anyone else. I think we are the ones who should set the model for what it looks like to be fully fully alive. And number two, fully alive and walking in the light. I, I like walking in the light. I don't like walking in the dark. I, I did start hunting uh, a, a week from Saturday ago, went out one day and um, the elk were very safe again. <laughs> Sad. Um, and I was in this beautiful little place and, and, and I had a, a close encounter. I was within about 50 yards of some elk and totally messed the whole situation up, as is the habit. And um, went for a little hike about an hour later and went down this other draw. And I got down to the bottom of the draw and it was starting to get dark. And I saw what I thought was an elk kind of wandering into the trees and it started talking to me and I was talking to it and I had, to, I, was, I was trying to call back and forth and get it to walk out and, and, and feed me. And, um, I kind of started looking around at my surroundings and realized there was a lot of trees that were very broken and ripped up, you know? And then I looked down next to this one tree that was really ripped up and there was this large pile. Okay. Are you with me? All right. <laughs> And I thought, 
there's a grizzly that lives in here. Now, if you don't know, you weren't around last year. I got tracked by a grizzly last year during hunting season. And so that has me on kind of like high alert about grizzly behavior. And here's what I thought. I need to get out of here before it gets dark. That's what I thought. I got to get out of this drainage before it gets dark. Got back out of the drainage, connected with my friend that I was hunting with. And he said, I wouldn't ever want to get stuck down there in the dark. Why? Because the dark is scary. Dark is scary. Even even five-year-olds, they just inherently know this, right? My five-year-old, my four-year-old, they both wake up and they're scared because of the dark. They want a night light on. And Paul says we are those who are supposed to live in the light, not in the dark. He goes as far as to say that we are supposed to be called children of the light. Children of the light. Find out what pleases the Lord, that we don't live in darkness anymore, that we live in the light. And practically, I think this means a lot for us, and, and I'm not sure we all want to embrace this fully. I, I wrestle with it myself, right? Because living in the light means living with a sense of, my life is an open book. And there's no shady areas. There's no areas that I want to hide from God or hide from others. That is what God is calling us to in this passage. Living as children of light. Living in the light. And I think that should be challenging for us because here's what I know. Every single person in this room, myself included, has bits of darkness in our soul. Right? It's called sin. You're born with it. Surprisingly, we don't have to teach kids how to be mean. They figure that out on their own. We have to teach them how to be kind. I was thinking about this with my kindergartner, right? I'm like, they go to class. They don't have a class on how to be mean. They have a class on how to be kind, right? Because we need to teach it to them. Because in our souls, there is darkness. From the moment you were conceived, you were conceived into sin. Uh, David says it in the Psalms, even in my mother's womb, I was filled with sin. And see, that sin, it causes shadows and it causes darkness. In fact, when, when um, Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing that they did? They ran and hid and covered themselves up. They got out of the light as quick as possible. And they went into hiding. And they went into hiding. And see, sin separates us from God. It, uh, it makes us go into hiding. It makes us go into the dark. And, and Paul says here, you want to be awake? You need to live in the light. You need to live in the light of Jesus each and every day. And is that hard? Yes. Is that challenging? Yes. Is that going to ask that there are sacrifices that you need to make? There are changes that you need to make in your life? Absolutely. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he does not want you to stay the same. Do you understand me? He loves you just the way you are, but he wants you to be more and more like him every single day. And he wants to refine you. And he wants to get rid of all the darkness within you. And he wants to make you a full child of light. Being awake means being fully alive and walking in the light. And what does that mean for us tangibly this week? It means three things, three fruits or aspects of what I'm going to call a lit life. All right? A lit life. I don't, it, it, you, anyway, some of you got that. Some of you not. And uh, ask a high schooler. Okay? It's lit. I don't even know what it means. I think it has some references to illegal activity. But um, anyway, 
three aspects or fruits of a lit life. I'm pulling here from verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Here's what I want you to think about this week. Because I don't, I don't want you to think about your neighbor. Right? We, sometimes we're like, hey, I hope so-and-so is listening to this sermon. Right? They needed it this morning. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Listen to me. Okay? This passage should be a mirror for our souls. A mirror for our souls to see if we're really awake. And the fruit of being awake, the fruit of being fully alive, the fruit of living in the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So here's the question. Is there evidence of goodness in my life? Do I seek that which is good? Good decisions, good friends, good consumption, good words? Righteousness. Is there evidence of righteousness in my life? Is my life set apart for God alone? Do I look visibly different to the rest of the world? That's what righteousness means. It means set apart. Set apart. It means you look a little different than everybody else. If everybody says, man, you're just like everybody else, you're not displaying fruit of the light. There should be things in your life that are different. Right? I'm having this conversation with my kindergartner already, and I'm saying, hey, buddy, there's some TV shows you're not going to watch. There's some parties you're not going to go to. There's some friends that mommy and daddy are going to have to hang around when you're hanging out with them because we are children of light. So is there evidence of righteousness in my life goals, in my purposes? Am I driven by different pursuits than the rest of the world? Am I set apart as holy and righteous as a chosen child of God? Truth. Is there evidence of truth in my life? Do I speak the truth? Most vividly, do I find truth in Jesus? The way, the truth, and the life. Do I seek out conversations based in deeper, truer things of life? Am I truthful above reproach in how I live every day? Is your life an open book? Could someone come up to you and say, Hey, how did you spend your time, your money, your energy? And you could share it with them without being ashamed. I remember sitting in seminary um, my first year... And we were in a church history class, and, and the professor, he, before he dove into the text, he said, I want to invite you into something. I want to invite you into a deeper life. And I thought, this has nothing to do with church history, but I'm with you, man, right? And he went on to say, listen, we live in a shallow world. We live in a world where we live three-minute sound, three sound bits at a time. We listen to this three-minute sound bit here and this three-minute sound bit here, and we invest in friendships over these things called Facebook and Skype and Snapchat and Twitter, and they're not really friendships. And the, and the temptation is for us to withdraw into a shallow life instead of a deeper life. And he challenged us to say, what are you going to do as you're being formed here in seminary, are you going to live a shallow life or are you going to live a deeper life? A life that is filled with goodness and righteousness and truth. And I was challenged that day as I hope you are challenged because we are called to live deep lives in a shallow world. And if we don't, we won't wake up. That's the thing. We won't wake up. Have you ever been around, once again, don't point or look at anyone, okay? But you ever been around somebody who doesn't love Jesus and is kind of like in a weird state of maybe drunkenness or they're high and they're sort of not even there? You ever been, in, you ever been around somebody like that? 
And you kind of go, man, that person is, is just numbed out to this world, right? They're, they're not awake and engaged in this world. That's why Paul goes on to say, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to all kinds of bad stuff. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Man, when I engage with some people, I look them in the eye and I can just see they're not awake. And that's not me being judgmental. It's not. It's not. Because I want what's best for them. But is it not true that we live in a world that engages us and says, numb out to life because you can't handle it anyway? We're not called to that, Christian. We are not called to that. We are called to live fully awake. Fully alive. Why? Well, because part of why you need to be awake is so you can live fully alive in the moment right now. But part of why we should be motivated to pursue um, being fully alive is that there is a very real ending to this life. And an entrance into the next life. The writer of Ecclesiastes was correct. He said, uh, eternity has been written on our hearts. And there is a profound search for meaning and longing that even I believe the most adamant atheist still has. An understanding about what happens in this life and an understanding about what happens in the next life. And this song tells us that's exactly what will happen, and the Bible agrees with that. See, the, the song ends with, with this terribly, ter- terribly um, scary little statement. It ends by saying this, You were meant to meet your maker. Dun-dun-dun, right? You were meant to meet your maker. Uh, listen, here's the glorious terrifying ending to the song and the, the glorious terrifying ending to your life is that you will meet your maker and my intention is not to scare you into the kingdom of God okay but I, I mean although I'd be willing to try to get you there any way possible but um, that's not my intention this morning my intention is to help you come face to face with the reality that this life is temporal. That there will be a day, uh, unless Jesus decides he's going to come on back, which we're, we'd be good with that. I'd be good with that, right? But if he does not, there will be a day when you will breathe your last and you will go to sleep forever. And the question is, will you sleep forever or will you come awake? Because you were meant to meet your maker. Even if you don't believe it, this is what Christians believe. We are those who are created by God, meant to be in communion with God, and will live with God or without God forever. That's what Christianity believes. And maybe you want to tiptoe around that with your friends because you feel like that's a little too much. But listen, that's the heart of what we believe. We believe that a man came to this earth, his name was Jesus, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave as no one else in history does, and he's not dead to this day. And he's going to invite us to be with him forever. C.S. Lewis said it like this, right? There's two kinds of people in this life. Those who God says, thy will be done, right? And those who say to God, God, thy will be done. And I want to be part of those who say, God, thy will be done. See, we are meant to meet our maker. And that can be terrifying to us. That can strike fear into our hearts. 
Um, or, or we can look forward to it. And not in a morbid sense, right? But I want you to live fully in this life. But, but I think for Christians, we should have this sense of stuck in this life. This sense of, yeah, I, I belong here, but man, I belong with Jesus. The work I've been given here is important and has meaning and purpose. But man, I long to meet my maker. Yeah. And here's how I want to end today for, for every single one of you. See, you don't have to wait till that moment. That's the greatest part, for, especially for Christians. It doesn't have to be this ominous thing. You don't have to wait. Why wait to meet him someday when you can meet him today? See, um, we're about to take communion, and communion is all about being awake and alive and fully in the light. See, Jesus, he, he is the light of the world. And he is the life. And he is the truth. And he is the way. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But guess what? If you come through him, you come to the Father. And for Christians, you don't have to wait. And for non-Christians, you don't have to wait either. You can meet your maker right now. So um, this is what this meal is all about. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us in one last song as we participate in communion. See, sometimes we think that this is a, a religious act. Oh, it's time to take communion. You know, better like bow my head and get real holy for a moment. No, no, no. This is about relationship. This is about being fully alive, being fully awake, and living in the light. And communion this morning to you is an invitation. It's an invitation. And Jesus would say to you in this meal, I want to nourish you so that you may come fully alive, fully in the light, and you may be awake. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would nourish us through, through this, the representation of your body and blood shed for us upon the cross, that while we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. God, I ask that you would meet us here in this moment. I pray for anyone in the room that is struggling with this and really doesn't know where they stand. I pray, God, that you would nudge them, that you would, Holy Spirit, fill them, and that you would lead them even to meeting with their maker right now. Pray, God, that as we meet with you, we would hear your words over us, that you love us, that you care for us. That every single hair on our head is numbered. That you know us completely behind and before. That you knit us together in our mother's womb. And God, we praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We thank you for this meal. We ask that you bless it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.